0: Stay employable in the AI era.
1: So, either you're going to end up working in McDonald's or you're going to be able to upgrade and do some more cognitive. Job.
0: Elon Musk envisions a future where AI could potentially replace all jobs.
1: Is what they don't tell you is that there's not enough good jobs for everyone.
0: Don't be a dinosaur.
1: And by then the person's going to start sweating like buckets. And
0: AI is not going to be implemented right away. Companies are slow in implementing anything.
1: There's a lot of money to be made.
0: You have a window of opportunity.
1: A threat is an opportunity that she, that someone else seized before you.
0: That type of a job is going to be defensible longer.
1: You become in fact a disruptor and that's what all companies
0: are trying to do. Welcome everybody. Thank you for joining us. I'm uh, Robert Macheco, co-founder of the INSEAD AI community. I'm joined by uh, Ashley Reconati, an INSEAD alum with roots in the U.S. and Europe, currently based in China. Uh, Ash is uh, the author of AI Battle Royale, a book exploring strategies to stay employable in the AI era. Today's discussion aims to enlighten and empower us to excel in this transformative era. Open AI Sam Altman is optimistic about AI in the labor market, foreseeing it as a powerful tool for humanity. Contrastingly, Elon Musk envisions a future where AI could potentially replace all jobs. How do you perceive AI reshaping the future of work amidst these diverse views?
1: It's not going to replace all jobs. OK, let's be clear about that. Um... Obviously, these two people you cite—they have each of them have vested interest in what happened with ChatGPT, so they're not exactly objective. Personally, I don't really like what what they're saying because it might sound different, but to me, it sounds the same. They're both basically saying that uh, there's nothing that you can do about it, uh, either. Or, you know, the first one says like you don't have to do anything about it because everything will go well, and the second is saying, well, you know, we're all going to lose our jobs and there's nothing much you can do about it. So. I kind of resent that because it's uh, very uh, passive, and it's not the message that I think we want to be getting across to people right now. So, coming from people that are that people like Sam Altman and and uh, Elon Musk, that unfortunately people listen a lot to, I find that that's very damaging. So it's very it's it's very poisonous. It's toxic. Uh, the, this kind of language. Uh, on the contrary, people do need to uh, look out at what's going on, and they need to uh, be aware that there are things that. They can do, and that they really need to start acting and getting prepared and uh, getting ready, because uh, there are going to be opportunities, but not everyone's going to be able to get them.
0: Given Altman's perspective of creating new job roles, what strategies would you suggest for individuals to identify and seize these emerging opportunities?
1: Well, yeah, yeah. Again, I mean, for Sam Altman, I mean, the, the Senate should stop asking him about these things because he's he's not really well positioned to know about this. He's not an expert on the topic. You know, he he works on other things. He's not focused on how AI changes work and what workers should do about it. So if the Senate asks him a question, he's going to answer what his PR prepped them to to say. People can get ready for it and uh, they need to see. So obviously it's a bit hard to give, like there's no one silver bullet that can work for everyone. You need to look at what the people are doing. Are they in a manual job? Are they in a cognitive job? Are they using a computer? Are they in a job that involves data? Do they do recurrent tasks? Do they exert a lot of creativity in their work? Do they talk a lot with other people, Our, uh, social, the social interaction come a lot in play. There's a way that they do this in their job, but there's like a plasticity to their job if you wish and then you can see like okay which of these strings should they be working on because these are things that maybe ai isn't that good at then there's some aspects of their job where technology can help them i prefer to say technology than just ai because then with ai people get all these these fancy ideas and everything but it's it's really just technology and it starts with something as basic as you know typing on a keyboard or learning how to use a tool like excel or autocad or whatever it is that you use in your line of work that you could be using in your line of work And then it goes further with with coding and things like this. One of the nice things about the the new AI that we have coming out in the past year is, I think we'll talk about that a bit later, but it's in the impacts that it has for AI. It brings a lot of things that before you probably couldn't do unless you're really good at something like coding. It brings this within uh, your grasp now. So you don't have to be a very good coder in order to do a lot of things. Now,
0: In your book, you talk about three significant tech threats in the workplace, total labor replacement, skill uh, requirement reduction and job enhancement. Could you talk about those threats and potential impact?
1: Sure, sure, sure. sure. That, that's a really important point. And it's what I was actually j- just heading to uh, before there. So the, the skill requirement downgrade, this is um, the idea that basically this is something that you did before that required a certain level of expertise. No longer requires that expertise. So, you were giving a good salary as, for instance, a taxi driver because you knew the city by heart. And now, technology like GPS and Uber comes out, and anyone with a car can uh, do the same thing as what you were doing as a taxi driver. So, this opens the doors to a lot of people to do this job, driving the car to take someone to a destination. But at the same time, it's erodes the skill of taxi drivers. Their study has shown that the, their average income in, in London has gone down by 10% since the introduction of Uber, you know, ride-sharing platforms. It shows that some of the experts, they lose, they, their skills are eroded and there's a devaluation of their skills. That's one of the big threats that we have now with uh, technology like ChatGPT. Now, at the same time, there's other technologies that enhance workers. So I was mentioning about Excel before. You think everyone knows how to use Excel. There's about a billion Excel users in the world on a global workforce, about 3 billion people. So that's like one third of the workforce has a spreadsheet, but there's very different levels of knowledge of how you use it. You know, some people are very good at stuff and they can do what takes one person maybe four hours. They can do it in like 10 or 15 minutes. They automate it to a large extent. And um, this is you have the same thing going on with it. Photoshop, with uh, Moldflow, with uh, SolidWorks, with a lot of software. And the difference between software like this and software like Stable Diffusion or, or Mid Journey or uh, ChatGPT is that the former it will take you a very long time to work with it in order to be really good at it, whereas something like ChatGPT you can watch a YouTube tutorial and get the hang of it within you know a few minutes. And then you can use it. So that's why it's accessible to everyone. It's a democratic tool, a very ergonomic user interface, and that's very different from something like you know using the, these more sophisticated softwares. So the more sophisticated software still require an expertise, and if you're really good at using them, then you're really augmented, and you can do the work of a lot of other people to much more efficiently. That's really the difference between the two. So both of them, they complement. These are tools that complement labor. But the impacts that they have can differ significantly now the last one is because technology obviously keeps on improving right so the last one is uh the point where uh technology can completely substitute for the job yeah this this is the the final show you know the end of the game it, it won't happen at the same time for each job you know it depends on jobs some jobs have already been fully automated like a toolway or or parking cashier some jobs uh, will soon be automated like a crane operator those are already there's already automated operators and things like this, often monotask jobs, just other types of jobs that can be automated.
0: What about the middle class in this future scenario? Are we going to have like bipolar world of haves and have-nots? And what does it mean for career progression?
1: There's different theories out there. We're not going towards a massive unemployment so far. Uh, what we have seen, though, in the past couple of decades is indeed what you refer to like this job polarization, where jobs that are what we would refer to as middle class jobs which often have to do with uh, recurrent tasks. And these are jobs like office admin jobs, um, certain sales jobs, but also like um, jobs in manufacturing, jobs in logistics, jobs in construction. These kind of jobs are threatened and uh, they've, they've already been decreasing to a large extent. I'm using the US categories for jobs now, but I mean, the category like office and then meet jobs, this is the biggest employer in the US still. I think it's around 20 million jobs. It's had the sharpest decline over the past 20 years to, you know, computerization, a bit of outsourcing and, and all this. Now that the new tools are out, there's still a lot of space to grow because the, the difficulty is that the whole way that our society was built and that the companies were built, I think people would be familiar with this around a century ago. Ronald Coase came out with this idea of, you know, why does a company exist to begin with and why do they hire employees? Why do they have a workforce? And he came with the idea of the transactional costs. It's just easier to hire someone and to have them do the job than to each time have to go out on the open market and and you know say okay I need someone to do this uh, you know and go with giggers. Now it's easier today to use giggers, freelance people, because there's the shared economy, so it makes it easier. But still, we still have employees right now, but they're being threatened now by the by the freelance. And uh, but the problem with the employees is. The reason when you take them inside the company, in order to make it efficient, you base you give them a job description, which is you know usually a bullet points with different tasks that they have to do, and each of these follows a standard operating procedure. So they were made to learn and and perform recurrent tasks. And now we need to re, we need to un- rewind and undo all of this, and this is really the, the tough part which is the most challenging part, uh, both for the company and for the workers, particularly.
0: For the people listening, you know, what benefits might they have from proactively improving their AI tech skills? For those yet to start, is it too late?
1: It's never too late. You should always get out there. And, and, and on the contrary, I would say for, for young people, it's really important even more important to master these tools when you start off on a career or when you're looking for a job as a you know fresh grad you can't really just go up to to the guys your boss or the the interviewers and tell them like yeah you you're an expert at uh, managing people or at uh, you know marketing or finance that they're going to laugh at you but if you tell them that you're really good with software and with uh, python or things like this then they will actually it, it won't be that hard for them to believe you you know you, you can't bluff your way through you have to be good at it but what i'm what i'm trying to get to is that for the youngsters this is really one of the key strengths that they have and that people will believe in them uh that they could be good at so they really need to use that it's one of the rare weapons that you have when you start off in the career. now when you're older when you're more senior if you have these kind of skills it's also very uh very useful because then you have these it skills combined with your experience and that's very very powerful combination you don't want to be like the old fart who's like completely that doesn't understand any of this stuff at the least you want to have the minimum of understanding of what these things can and cannot do a sort of theoretical understanding so that you don't make extravagant demands to your staff but then as you are in a more senior role position you, you don't really have to code yourself you know you have people that do this for you uh, when you look at big organizations the ceos and everything people don't expect that they're you know ace programmers it's not really necessary right but they do have to be aware of what these technologies can do so that they can lead the their firm uh forward and on the digitization path and that they know okay uh which technologies that they should pay heed to and which ones are just a fad or a dupe right
0: yeah when we talked to bcg's francois candelon he said um senior managers should have something like an AI driver's license. You don't necessarily have to know how the car exactly works, but you should know if you press the pedal, it goes forward. As you mentioned in in the book, Guangxi, uh, the concept of Guangxi, can you tell us uh, its significance, especially in the AI era?
1: First of all, Guangxi is about, um, it's a Chinese uh, word that refers to the, the links and the relations between people uh, that form a, a web, like a system. So it's 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 about social relationships uh, that you build around you know family, uh, friends, uh, in, in the workplace, uh, suppliers, employees, investors, etc. It's really an important concept when you see like in a group of friends or something, all of the different interactions going on, all of the under lying stuff going on and all the the things that people know and that they see through intuition and that they know about the the different Machiavellian kind of things going on you know between men and women between you know all these and the history between people these are the things that an AI is just not going to be able to grab all this data and make sense of it you know uh, first of all it might not be legal for it too and you know so so it won't be able to understand it's staff the way that uh, a manager can, or the way that you know when you go outside and you need to deal with uh, third parties, with stakeholders uh, and everything. It's not something that AI is good at. But in order for you to be good at it, you need to really exert it. And then the sense that I talk a lot about guanxi of is more like as something that you build. It's it's really like some some it's the human capital that you build uh, for the future. The term of guanxi in China, as, as you know, there's a lot of uh, big emphasis on giving favors and receiving favors and. They kind of keep track of it, not like, you know, like they don't do this as an accounting practice or something, but there is some sort of invisible, you kind of keep track of, oh yeah, you know, you give this person a favor, later they'll they'll probably give you a favor back or something. So there is this will to go out there and to help other people. And this is something that the INSEAD is really strong on too, you know, that they really emphasize as a community that people are there to help each other out and you give first before you receive. So this is also something that is really emphasized in the school. It's also something that's really important because at some point in the life, if you want to go and, and you want to make a turn towards another direction, or you want to go entrepreneurial or something, and and then, you you know, suddenly you need investors, but you also need like customers, suppliers, uh, employees, vendors, et cetera, you're mm-hmm. going to want to think than like at all those people you knew from before and think like, damn, you know, it's too bad I didn't keep in touch with them because now that I need them, it's a bit late to just go out and ask for a favor, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And it might be more important in the future. You talked about uh, tech skills, AI skills, that the listeners, uh, that all of us should should build these skills. What are other skills that will be more important uh, in this coming period? You talked about yeah. versatility, personal branding, creativity. I mean, where, where can we... Find moats, personal modes uh, uh, around our work.
1: This is really like the core topic of the book. Huh? So it's uh, uh, not just focusing on the problems, or what we're looking at, really at solutions and pragmatic solutions that you can deploy in the workplace. It all begins really with an introspection of your job, like in the lines of a SWOT analysis, but transposed to the individual. Where are your strengths and your weaknesses compared to AI and other technologies, and how these technologies can encroach on there, and where you know where do you remain resilient? You have to look at this through different lenses. And the, you just mentioned some of them. So there's the creativity, the versatility, the number of tasks that you have in your job, how you're perceived, and all these actions. And when you look at it, actually, it's very interesting because the more I was researching this uh, topic, so I've, I've been working on this for about five years in this, this project uh, that culminated with the book. The more I researched it, the more I realized that this whole phenomenon of job disruption is, in fact, very similar to corporate disruption. A lot of the actions, a lot of the measures that you can take are similar to what uh, smart companies do. Things like you you mentioned, like the the person, the branding, for instance. The branding is something that companies have been doing for close to a century now, because. They they do this in order to differentiate themselves, right? This is something really important in storytelling and being able to manage your customers. You know, you're doing something like customer relationship management. When we talk about Guanti, that's what it is really. Uh, So it's really just transposing a lot of what successful companies do in order to, what what do they do? They disrupt themselves, you know? They don't wait for the disruption. They hit them head on. They disrupt themselves. So that's what people have to do also. Creativity plays, plays a role in this, but you have to be, you have to really go in deep into what creativity means, you know? It's not just, Creativity doesn't mean you're working in advertising or you're, uh, you know, you, you're working as a photographer or something. There's creativity is, is really about problem solving in original ways and going the extra mile beyond to to give something to the customer that they hadn't even thought about in a way that pleases them and in a way that can be creative. And how do you be creative? I, I talk about it in the book, you know, but I mean, there's, there's, there's different uh, things, you know, you have to do something which is audacious, but at the same time, it strikes a chord with them somewhere deep down, you know? There's something familiar in there. It can't be too alienating.
0: You talk about threats to business sectors uh, based on likelihood and uh, impact. So what kind of analysis could listeners take about their business sectors?
1: I mentioned about this in in the book, but I mean, there's different. uh, First of all, you got to look at all the technologies out there. And uh, so we're talking fourth industrial revolution here. So there's not just AI, there's. A lot of other technologies and so there's the technologies and then there's things like trends also so there's a trend like for instance the the miniaturization trend which is enabled by Moore's law uh, which itself is part of the acceleration trend and this is something that is uh, what you know apple for instance saw okay computers are going to get smaller and smaller so what do we do we 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 do a smartphone right so it wasn't the idea of doing the phone it was the idea of doing a mini computer and now the chinese see that, okay, everyone likes to live in their cars. I mean, Chinese people, they spend a lot of time in their cars. So they didn't go the way of the Americans thinking, oh, we have to do a hybrid vehicle with an electric motor because that's like better for the environment or something. People are here, they they have other uh, preoccupations. They just like to be in their car, to chill in their car. It's a place that they hang out. So what did they do? They brought the computer to the car. Now that the Chinese EVs are not about having an electric vehicle. It's about all of the connectivity and all of the sensors and all this stuff that's in the car that just really makes it a smartphone on wheels and that's how they became super successful and now they just starting to open this out to the world and they're dominating it's because they they really caught this trend so um yeah you need to see the different technologies and the trends coming at you and then like you mentioned you can see this They're just a very standard model and when you look you, you score it by the probability of it impacting you and what the depth of the impact would be and then, uh, you know, this gives you a score to see, okay, where what should you priori- put your priority on? And uh, this, again, is in a rather defensive a rather kind of aspect. Are you looking at things as a threat? Uh, you could also see things as an opportunity if you grab them, you know.
0: What I got from the book is it's worth that everybody think about their industry and what the new tech coming in is going to do to it so that you're prepared.
1: That's as an employee. So the book is really taking the perspective of the employee. I just need to be clear about that. There's a lot of books that exist uh, talking about what companies and and CEOs should do to, uh, you know, avoid disruption or to to surf on the the digital trend to, to leverage big data to harness all this stuff there, there's a lot of books written about that right um I couldn't find any book that explains that really talks to the employee and explains to them what they can do and that, that was kind of a shocking revelation to me that's why I set on to this project in the first place so when I talk about the threat of sectoral disruption or corporate disruption again it's through the lens of the employee, if as an employee, you see that your company is coming under serious threat, then you know you can see, okay, what can you do? But again, as an employee, your actions are probably a bit limited because you're not up there determining the strategy of the company. I talk a little bit about it, but it's not the main theme of the book.
0: Well, let's stay there for a second on the companies, because you talked about the Chinese EV sector uh, and basically what they said, well, this threat is coming of this replacement in technology. So let's just go all in. So that's one thing that a company can do. Uh, You can also brand up, which I thought was an interesting branding up was an interesting term that you put in the book. Or you know, companies might have to pivot to new industries. Can you talk a little bit at the company level, since a lot of the listeners are managers? uh, You know how 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 to think about things.
1: They can see uh, again a threat is a threat only when you don't. A threat is an opportunity that that someone else seized before you. So if you are able to embrace the technology and to make the leap then it becomes an opportunity and you're you're in you become in fact a disruptor and that's what all companies are trying to do. Another way indeed is that you can go you can find like a refuge uh kind of area where you can still survive. So I I think I mentioned the case of boats, for instance, where people don't travel by boats anymore. So the boat industry kind of like plummeted, but some people, you know, they they shipbuilders, they go towards building yachts and stuff like that, because rich people still like to have their boats, right? that is one other way to go. Then, then, of course, there's the option that you just flee and you go towards another sector. So, and, and this happens a lot. Um, you see it recently with a European company, uh, Philips, who was known for making, you know, invent, doing the DVDs and all that. Well, now they're, completely sold off all of their production of goods and they're rebranding themselves as a healthcare company Well that's like a big pivotal change right we've seen things like this happen before i mean like like i mentioned but berkshire hathaway used to be a, a textile company then they changed you know they changed and, and they went into insurance yeah that's just really like when you abandon a sector which is like going in down in free fall and, and you change to do something else Branding up is like, well, that, that's kind of like the refuge. Like I mentioned the case of the yachts, for instance, it's uh, okay. You know, it's the same if you're like in, in the restaurant business or something and, and some suddenly you can't compete because there's these guys are going really big time on the scale using uh, automation. Well, if you brand up and you do like a really, if you have a history and everything and you can really go up there, if you have the, the ability to brand up, then you can uh deliver for a niche uh, population a superior quality product and then you still might have like human waiters that are there like you know advising you about you know the food to choose and the wine pairing and so on
0: for the listeners who are managers you know how do they make sure their companies are agile companies instead of the one the losers um you talked about things like process transformation experimentation culture uh, responsible usage and also collaboration in in ai
1: that's an interesting point because um I see like, for it, it's really at the, the antipods, right? You have an, in one in one situation, you got the, the really processed company, which does everything, just trying to make everything the most systematic possible, eliminate all forms of VUCA so that you can have everything very processed and then you can automate it. You really reduce the weight of the labor in this company. Th- that way you can deliver a product for a very cost efficiently. And on the other hand, you're going to have the companies that like you referred to the agile companies where the people are... Train a lot more is done into the training of the people so that they become a lot more uh, aware of what's going on at the ins and outs and they become more, you know, all departments uh, together, right? So, and, and they can work together and they speak more common language and there's less silo effects and everything. And in a sense, ChatGPT can even help them too because ChatGPT can bring down arcane concepts like, you know, the jargon of uh, accountants or lawyers or R&D engineers and everything. And it can bring it down into... Uh, common vernacular that everyone can understand so that people from different departments can kind of understand what's going on between each other. You know, they can, they're, they're they're no longer like, uh, oh, this department, they have all the knowledge on this. And and it's something like you can't understand it or something. So that can help too, but to get back to the, to, to the, the agile companies so that they have a very different kind of culture in there, which is trying to uh, augment the employees and to make them more uh, resilient, but also more flexible, more, more agile. Right. So that if there's changes that happen, they can adapt but it's going to be a bit more costly for the company to do this compared to the one that really just tries to uh, get rid of all their labor now these are really just the two extremes of the on the spectrum right in the middle though I'm afraid that the companies in the middle that go for neither one nor the other option those are the ones that are going to get hit the hardest because they're going to have the high cost of the personnel and they're not going to have the augmented personnel that can adapt so those companies might just sort of fade away and we're going to end up with the two extremes which one of these two is going to win i don't know again these are really just the extremes and even within a company if you don't have really that strong corporate culture from top to down you could have in different departments based on different managerial styles you could have the two that sort of um uh you you can find the two together at different levels of the company right
0: say you're in a company or an industry that is facing challenges so it might not exist or it'll be changed dramatically what do you do? How do you decide what to do? Do you stay? Do you try to adapt? Or do you flee seek new opportunities, you know, thinking about your skills and, and specialization? If you're in such a situation, what should you do?
1: Uh, as an employee, first of all, you need to really see what, what it is that, that, that they're facing. What kind of threat is it? You know, what, what problem is it that you're facing? Because if, if the problem is not about the company, but about you and your skills, going to another company is not really going to change anything, you know, if you leave, or if you even lose your job, because they're like, oh, we, we can automate it this now, or, or, you know, we only need three people there were before there were six people. So and you're not one of the most tech savvy. So you're not the one that we keep. Uh, if you go somewhere else, I mean, the same thing is going to happen over there too. And if it doesn't, then the company that you're in one day or another, they're going to tank because they're not, taking the right actions to become more efficient so they're going to lose the race to the companies that became leaner you really need to see what what the problem is you know but if you do have skills like if you are really someone who is like got this mindset forward looking and you're trying to move things and you're trying to shake things up and everything but your company is the one that's acting really like an old dinosaur and that's not acknowledging the threats and you can see that they're really going in the wrong direction and that they won't have time to catch up then, yeah, you can decide to abandon ship but You got to think about it through, really, because, I mean, if you look in the past, like in the 20 years ago with the, with the Internet revolution, although the Internet is different from what it does from, from AI, obviously, but, you know, some companies were a bit slow to catch on to the Internet too, right? But that doesn't mean that they just, they didn't, they, they're they still here today. And uh, just like today, you have companies that are do, doing lighting and lamps, lamp, light bulbs and everything although the iot and smart lamps have been out for over a decade now it just hasn't caught on so you have to be really sure and you're prognostic about the timing the timing is really important perhaps the company will still be able to make it through you know see also what it is the threat i mean not all threats are are that lethal you know i mean the fax machine when it came out is not something you know yeah it was nice technology but it it didn't destroy everything but today there's there's no company today that doesn't have like an internet Website, right?
0: Can you talk a little bit more about the opportunity of, especially the people listening, they can become the change leaders. Companies have been slow to even understand what's going on right now. What's the opportunity for people who are ready to take the lead in this area?
1: With AI, there, there's a lot of opportunities, and it's important that you put some order in this, you know, so you, you got to like categorize this in different levels. It's still, one of the main biggest things that people are, are trying to go towards, thanks to AI, is for increasing their sales. So it's about uh, better serving the customer. And it's about getting better data on your customers in order to then serve them better. So I, I have this at the beginning that where you see the, the definition of intelligence, you know, capturing data from the environment, processing it, and then acting back on the environment. This is what companies do basically when they're getting data from their customers to know them better. Customers and prospects and people who are not their customers yet doing the segmentation and then doing the targeting and all that. And then Giving them the the right stuff that you know is is, is going to resonate with them. This is still one of the main areas of focus, but it's not exclusive to other areas. So other areas that there's internal controls, for instance. So we're using uh, AI now a lot to, for internal controls, and it's going to be used more and more. More metrics will be deployed in the offices. And even in, you know, just like on computers and stuff to, to uh, see what people are doing, what the workers are doing, to monitor them. And this is being helped now by the whole work from home paradigm. This is giving an impetus for companies to sort of like spy on, on their staff, basically, except that they do it, you know, with the staff's knowledge. So the staff knows like, okay, from now on, the company knows exactly how much time I'm spending on each of the softwares on the computer, how much I'm interact with people on the phone, et cetera. And, and this is going to be more and more, you know, you have these devices now, which I'm sure will end up coming out in companies and will be mandatory for people to, to have, which just monitor everything that you say. So it will give you, it gives the companies a lot of statistics, you know, in your meeting, uh, how much do you talk versus the customer, what pitch of tone, uh, how do you listen? So many, so many metrics that can come out of these things. And that's going to come in offices. We already have a lot of metrics coming out now. Obviously, this is something not new in the factory. So I, I'm in the manufacturing sector and we have... A lot of metrics so that, you know, each action that an operator has in the workflow is uh, measured. Now this is coming out to the services sector. So for delivery people or for people in the rest in the restaurant, when you order something, you order it with an app, it says the exact time that you order it and then the time that the dish arrives. And this is like the kind of metrics that people are being judged on uh, when, you, when you deliver something. It's the same thing. So there's all the apps are making everything more measurable. And uh, so we're all getting all these KPIs, but they're very objective KPIs, but they're going to miss some things too. So there's a bit of humaneness that goes out the door because of this, but that's just the society we're going towards. The measurability point is a great point that it will have a
0: re- repercussion in the, in the medium, in the short, medium and long term, right? because, uh, you know, having the KPIs uh, all uh, written and uh, computerized uh, c- can make a difference.
1: It's a huge impact. There's been this sort of fog of war in the offices where people are like, you know, yeah, I come, I come to the office, I do my job. If you're able to squeeze in a few hours and you're able to do your job in five hours instead of eight hours, you don't spend the other three hours usually doing other stuff. A lot of people are just going to spend that three hours maybe on Facebook or something, and no one will know. This is all about the change. you know. So this is really something, it goes by the name of digital Taylorism, where there's really this playing uh, Taylorism, and not just in the sense of division of labor, but in the sense of all the metrics and everything that go with it to the offices. And that's going to be a really hard pill for a lot of people to swallow.
0: I found interesting in your book that you uh, suggested that people analyze in detail what they do, their tasks, and look at them, if they're repetitive, what's automatable, and so forth. And your advice uh, that I took from the book was to focus on things that are cognitive, where there's a lot of deep thinking, that's not repetitive, a bit more fog of war rather than, than something you do over and over again, and delegating uh, and automating more routine work. Can you talk more about this approach and how people can actually use it?
1: I, w- I would say for the uh, the managers, right, if you want to help your staff, there's different things you can do. Obviously, you can, you can give them this book, you know, the, the, the book on for starters. I mean, Christmas is around the corner, right? So no, just really, you, you take their uh, job description, you just take their JD, you sit with them and you're like, okay, I'm going to go, we're going to go through this and I'm going to show you like point by point now each of these tasks that you have, you know, and and I know as a manager, you can write down on, on each, suppose they have five tasks. So, you know, that their first one takes 10% of their time, the second one, 50%, etc. You, you do each of that. You get to 100%. Then for each task, you say, okay, this task, half of it can, you can do it within half the time of what it used to take thanks to the ai now you know this one you can automate it completely this one you could reduce the time by 30 percent. this one it's going to take the same amount of time okay you get to the end of that and you, you do your little calculation and by then the person is going to start you know sweating like buckets and by the time you're done you're like okay see now we can save half of your time here it happens in your department you have like five other people doing the same job does that mean that means like we can get rid of already two people maybe three you know what, what do you do from there you know the person has to see so you of course as a worker you want to do this preemptively before your manager comes over and and has the discussion with you uh, because then you can do the change on your own terms luckily there's this concept out there which goes by the name of exponential gap and it's the idea that technologies improve like exponentially but the society and companies and the government uh their propensity to adapt to these technologies is more linear so that leaves a gap between these two curves and there's a gap between basically what technology can do, how many jobs it can automate and the actual automation of jobs by companies. From the worker perspective, this gap is like a window of opportunity that you can grasp in order to clean up your room before you know your company snoops in and you can become super efficient uh, by doing the kind of things that Robert was just alluding to. So yeah, I, I talk about yeah, looking at all your tasks and their level of recurrence and how they could be replaceable and everything. And then just trying to automate the tasks that you have that are the most recurrent so that you can free up some time to do more meaningful stuff. And then you can look back at what you've been doing, you know, the past year or two, when you had problems that you were unable to solve and you had to, because they kind of like, they're above your pay grade, as you would say, or they were like, just not written in the script. Then you had to call up your, you know, what, what did you do back then? Did you try and figure things out yourself? Did you, did you go on the internet? Did you search yourself for something for solutions? Or did you like just go to your boss and you you try and solve the problem with him when you try to solve the problem with your boss? Did you just was he busy? Or did he teach you how to do it? Or did he just did he just give you a fish? Or did he teach you how to fish? You know, because these are the kind of things you got to start thinking, you know, you got to try and learn more, you got to grasp more, and you got to get more tasks in your plate. And these tasks better be more Cognitive tasks, more problem solving, more connecting the dots, more things that are a bit more complex because they involve a lot of ins and outs, things that an AI cannot put under a common denominator. You know, it's not just quantifiable stuff in a a, a close space of perfect information, right? So that's what workers got to do, and I think that managers can kind of help them to develop the sensibility because, again, when you go down through them, when you take their job description and you go down and you walk them through it you know you're not doing this as a punishment to them you know you have to be really clear with them look you got to tell them like look man what we're doing here it's not just this company if if if, if you go somewhere else it's going to be you're going to be facing the same issue so you got to upgrade and you got to do it now fast because the jobs in the middle of these kind of jobs they're disappearing so either you're going to end up working in mcdonald's or you're going to be able to upgrade and do some more cognitive job what they don't tell you out there and this is again you know what is what they don't tell you is that there's not enough good jobs for everyone there's going to be a battle to, to have those nice good jobs it's the title of the book you know a. a battle royale is the idea that not everyone is going to make it up there so you're going to either go up or you're going to go down with the rest and end up at the base of the pyramid and as the base of the pyramid gets really crowded it's going to drag salaries even further down and if salaries can't be dragged further down because of uh, minimum uh, wages or things like this, uh, then, you know, they, they, they can be shifted to other countries.
0: Just to summarize how I've understood some things so about tasks, you said, if you are doing like one thing, a monotask job, and it's automatable run, you have to start <laughs> looking at focusing on things that require some deep thinking which where it's not so obvious where it's not so repetitive that type of a job is going to be defensible uh, longer ai is not going to be implemented right away companies are slow in implementing anything you have a window of opportunity but if you're in that monotask job run second thing and this is from from fabio at a personal level a similar point don't be a dinosaur i mean get into the stuff you really understand and go go deep at a company level if you're in a company that looks like it's going to be a dinosaur you can run or, you know, especially this group can be the change agents to, to, to actually turn those companies around. Is that an okay summary? Sure. Big Four uh, business relies uh, on tax and audit compliance. They hire many juniors to execute profitably. How do you think of Big Four competing, collaborating with AI-based companies? Uh, uh, software as a Service asks, uh what will junior people do?
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot. That That's one of the areas which is going to be shaken a lot, obviously. There's a lot going on there. You got to look at the software in, in question though. So the software, it's been deployed in different phases. Uh, we had the ERPs that for like 30 years, 20 years now, and a lot of the, com- there was a big rush at the time for companies to deploy these ERPs. And so they, and then CRMs and everything. So people did it really like head down. They just rushed to deploy these things. And they didn't really look at things like the interoperability of these systems. So now you have all these different systems that don't necessarily communicate and you need people to take the information from here, put it on a spreadsheet, move it to there and everything. So these are the kind of like wrinkles right now in the system, which will be ironed out little by little. If you're one of those people just moving information, moving data from here to there, it's a perilous area. now. For the tax advisors, for junior people in there, I'd have to check the statistics on how that moved. Uh, if, if, if For me, I, th- I think of there was a, the type of job that is probably a bit similar to that, that people have always been saying is like a job that's going to go down the hill is the job of paralegals. That's like a recurrent theme. If you read any book, that's will tell you, oh, paralegals is a job that's uh, you're not going to go. We're, we're not going to need those anymore. But so far, until 2022, you know, if you look at the statistics every year, year on year, the number of paralegals in the United States is just increasing. So, you know, I'm not saying this could change, obviously, at some point. And I think it's one of the jobs that is radically going to change. But it's uh, so far that hasn't shown itself. Now, what you need to look at, we haven't talked about this, is I think people need to reason less for the future and for young people, especially you got to reason less in terms of jobs, because a lot of jobs aren't going to be here anymore. And even the ones that are here, they're going to mean something completely different from what they mean today, just as if you're today like a marketing expert It's not the same thing as marketing 30 years ago. You know, now marketing uses a lot more data, like big data than it did before. There's a morphing happening of jobs, whether it changes names or not. So you got to really focus more and not define yourself based on a job or not search for a job, but define yourself. So don't think of yourself like, oh, I'm an accountant or I'm trying to go towards accounting. Look at what it is that you're good at. And what it is that you like, and, and usually it's going to be quite similar, you know, like, you like working with data, or you like more working with people, you know, what do you enjoy more? You like being on, on your computer all day long? Or you like prefer being with people all day long? What kind of communicator are you? What kind of what would you like to do as a passion? Or do you prefer more private life? Or you mix the two together? Are you more perfectionist? Or are you more like, you know, you just... Try and make it work first and then you reiterate you reiterate and everything until you get something the proof of concept that works and then you go move forward you have to really look at all this you have to really know yourself better to see all these things and that's really hard to do and that's just the first half the next half then is once you have all these skills set and unfortunately the education system and the, the, the society doesn't help you to do this introspection but you, you need to do this and then once you know all this stuff then you, the second half is you need to see where can this be applied? What kind of jobs does this, can this translate into? And it can be some really weird things, you know, and when you read these, there's these books, you know, about how you rebrand yourself and everything. And they show all these really interesting cases about people who were doing something. And then they just changed to something very different, but they were able to keep the skills that they had and like weave a thread with that to make it something, a compelling story that convinced people uh, to get them on another job. So, uh, yeah, you, you, but you really need to look at that and you have to dissociate yourself from this concept of like, I am a job or
0: something. Can you give some concrete examples about increasing your productivity with AI, rather from the point of view of an inside MBA business person rather than a blue collar point of view? Yeah,
1: all the time. It can help for a lot of things. Just last week, uh, one of my staff in the front office, they came to me with the really desperate eyes and they're like, okay, uh, there's a, a law that we were not that aware of that we need to... uh." keep i can't say exactly what it was let's just suppose for the sake of argumentation that we need all customer po's for the past three years stored in one location in a database in france and we didn't have that and so it's all in emails so we have three years of emails to go through now with uh, a lot of customer purchase orders so i say okay how many orders are we talking about let's go see we check the erp we dial them out okay there's ten let let's suppose it's a minute to get one that's 10,000 minutes of like, okay, stop. You're going to do this job. It, it would take like uh, three months of work full time to do this. And you don't have full time to do this. So I know that they can't do this. So I I, I spent a little time that evening with ChatGPT and I asked, can you code this out for me? I need to get all the emails and I need to get whether the PO number would be in the email title or in a PDF attached in the email. And it took a few times to go through this. And of course, you know, I was able to get it in the end, but, the other staff like they don't have the sufficient knowledge of coding in order to do this and I'm not an expert coder but I could do this because I do have some knowledge I know that kind of question to ask and what parts of the code mean and how to customize some parts to make it adapted to what I need to do and I know how to create a uh, how to say a playground to test it in a test environment in order to make sure that it works and that it does copy the files on the folder and things like this so a job that would have been like mission impossible we were able to do it within an evening just pressing on the button and the next morning we came back and it was it was 80 okay then we still had you know we still had a few emails to go and and, and recover but it did the, the big part of the job so also be careful like don't always try to go for full automation sometimes you can do uh 50 or 80 automation with even sometimes with excel formulas or whatever it, it's good enough right there are concrete examples other types of that we have in our industry. There's a few industries like this where it's not about autom- It's not about AI taking over jobs. It's the problem that we don't have enough people to do these jobs in the first place. So we make very technical products. I don't have any here with me, but we make very technical products for me- uh, measuring things in clean rooms. And the there are a lot of different types and there's a lot of different applications and there's a lot of different requirements and it's extremely technical. So it's very hard to have someone within our company that can answer the phone to customers and guide them to exactly the type of instrument that they need for their environments. So it takes around six months to train someone to do this. And then once that person is ready, they have this great expertise that is useless if they go anywhere else. So it's not something very sexy. And this is the kind of area where having a chatbot using large language model, using pre-generated transformer, it, it, it can be very compelling to have this. This is something that we really want to go towards, not for the customer to have directly. They won't, You wouldn't want the customer to have the, the hassle of interacting with the chatbot today because they don't really like doing that, but for our staff to have, so that our staff can be augmented by this chatbot and helped in order to give them a good response. At the first stage, then we can see this could be a pilot program, then we can see to have it for the customers directly. And this is what a lot of companies are doing now. Huh? Schindler and, and other companies, they're all trying to use large language models and generative AI in this sense in order to give a bot. You know, I think Porsche already has a uh, one that's doing this like as a salesperson, basically. They're using it as with all the pros and cons of their, mostly the pros of their cars. Uh, to, to inform customers about this.
0: There's a specific question about a McKinsey report that highlights different impact by job and industry. Did you see that? Did you have a view on that specific report?
1: The one about the 300 million jobs? Or... Uh,
0: yes, I think
1: so. So again, there's 3 billion jobs. So we're talking about 10% of the workforce that with without report. I think, I don't really like this kind of report because they don't give a timeframe. I don't believe that they give a timeframe to what they were saying. And it was kind of taken out of context because they were saying mostly that it's going to create a lot of beneficial stuff but they said that out of the existing jobs of today there's around 300 million that will go out you know that will exit and and these type of things often happen you know they, they they will list uh all the jobs the the first report like this i mentioned in the book obviously happened 10 years ago and they said that you know yeah we'd have around half the jobs existing today that would be automated within a decade or two and here we are exactly a decade later so now the guys who did that report they're like They're like superstars. You get these reports every year now. Some of them are really interesting because they really show the jobs and you'll see a lot of these jobs are monotask jobs. A lot of these jobs have to do with computers. So we have jobs like uh, data entry keyer. This is a job in the US and that's like one of the most highly targeted jobs and it's been going down a lot. Pay a lot of attention to these kind of
0: reports. Do you know of any AI courses, master in AI, a boot camp that you would recommend for anything from the technical things like Python uh, or prompting, Langchain, uh, or more business things like redesigning processes, what future organizations look like.
1: Yeah. For more theoretical knowledge, there's a lot of books on about like human AI machine collaboration, and there's books about digital strategies and things like this and how to, you know, be an algorithmic leader and, and stuff like that. There's a lot of books on this. For courses themselves, there's also a lot of courses. You have the MOOC of the MIT, which is one of the top notch ones, but it's very, it's very high level and you got to have a good solid background in statistics and, and probabilities and everything to, to be able to undertake this. And then you have, you have more easier stuff like the, the one given by Microsoft and a few other companies. Then you have websites like, you know, hugging face, Kaggle, GitHub and everything, which kind of help you, you know, they, you can have your own an environment to, to play with python and things like this so they kind of help you little by little to, to work on this my advice is not to just try and, and dive straight to you, you don't want to panic and dive into this you know you want to look at really what it is that you do uh, what are the tools that you're currently using in the company and how could you use them better and uh, really go from there you don't you don't want to go the other way around because you're just going to like you're just going to err in the dark and get depressed and and, and fail in the end. You, you really have to pay attention to how you go. And again, at a certain level in seniority, the ability to be a good manager and to manage other people trumps the ability of using automation tools. The automation tools are more important at the beginning of a career or tools in general. As you get higher in, in the corporate ladder, you don't expect people like Warren Buffett to, to be experts at using Python, right? They, they don't need to. They have people to do that for them. What you do need to do is, is have a good look then more uh, on a strategic perspective as, okay, what can these tools do and, and what can I do with them and be surrounded by people who can explain this well and who, you know, you can connect with, you know? So you have to have the, the right collaboration in place between people like, for instance, if you're like in, in in a company like, I don't know, like Saint-Gobain or, or DuPont, like you wanna have a good collaboration between the material scientists and the data scientists, that get these people in the same room together because it's together that you're really going to have the real creative sparks and be able to create something revolutionary with AI that can help you to make uh, like uh, new materials and things like this.
0: Why are we here? Why did you write this book? You have a full-time job already and, and how was the process? was it was it difficult?
1: You have a full-time job. I was um, reading about future technologies for about a decade now. I noticed that they were all they were all kind of saying yeah, they were all agreeing that there was going to be a big problem on the job market as these technologies advance and yet I couldn't find a single one that gives advice to employees. And I found that really shocking, kind of like unnerved me to the point where I'm like, okay, you know, like I want to research this and what can they do? You know, and it was kind of torturing me this question and I couldn't find any answers. So I started writing an article here, an article there and everything. And then I saw that it's just so deep and so big. And I, and I was interested in this, obviously for me, I was passionate about this. It was turning into an obsession. So then I was like, okay, let's just set on and write something about this. And that was around five years ago. Yeah, it was a bit challenging to you know, juggle between this and the job and everything, but you know, that was COVID also happened. So when you're locked in, like we were last uh, year for about over two months in Shanghai, that, that helps too. Right. No, but it, it was a really interesting journey. And uh, the idea was to be able to do something about this void. You know, I was, it was really unbearable for me. So I really wanted to, to fill in the void and because I think it's something important to be able to help people and to, Develop their awareness and to help realize you know what, what what's happening and to provide solutions because there's a lot of books that talk about the problem. I would find a lot of books like Rise of the Robots is a, one of the famous ones by Martin Ford and it's a good book. The only solutions he really talks about is universal basic income and I'm like well that's great but you know that's the you know that's the top guys they'll do it when they feel like it you know. Meanwhile what what can we do in the workplace?
0: That is one of the few silver lining of COVID that allow you to to write a book on this. <laughs> Last question Ash. do you have a key message or final thought to inspire our listeners as they think about their careers in the AI world?
1: For insiders, I wish to hope that they're not the first people targeted, right? I don't think that they're really in the recurrent jobs and everything. I think they're more managing teams that have people that are doing this. So I kind of gave some hints on, you know, what you got to do to set in this uh, mojo in action within a team so that they, you know, develop this awareness. And, it, but it's, it's also challenging too, because we have to be honest with ourselves, like, in our existing teams there are people that we know can grow you know you categorize you know you got your a players that you know can grow you got your b players that are just you know they want to balance with their family life and they want to stay put and you're and you're okay with that because you can't have everyone growing because again it's a pyramid right so you're okay with that having people that are just stable but the problem now is that this there's havoc being brought to this so those people that are just staying stable there they might end up not being necessary anymore or maybe only one of them will be necessary instead of three because I don't believe in full automation really. it's it's too risky now but uh, so that's really the issue now is how do you handle this with your team then it, for, for the insiders I mean in terms of business opportunities this is a period of like great havoc you know so it's that the, the, there's a lot of money to be made you know in this confusion like this you know so for business people who you know they, they have a a disdain for the idle pleasures of life. This is the time where I see a lot of opportunities. You know, while I was researching, I was really focused on this one topic. So that was one of the challenges. I didn't want to get distracted by all of these 1,001 other ethical dilemmas that we have with AI. I try to just focus on the job thing because that's one of the major problems also. When you see all these talks about AI and work, I see some of these talks and very soon people, they they, they just go on other topics like, oh, do we need is it better to have closed ai or open ai or, or things like that? So just, it's like just it's really irrelevant like as a worker who cares right but no get, get, getting back to the to the more business aspect of things like there's just a lot of tremendous opportunities and things that you can see that are possible to do with this uh technology now it's just crazy and and there's there's a lot of pain points that can be solved there's a lot of new things that can come out so you really have to keep an eye open for this because there's there's a lot of uh cool things that you can do with this and i'm really looking forward. Personally, although I, I think it's going to be difficult for the job market, the transitional period, I'm really looking forward to what it's going to be like in 10, 20 years. And again, there's things we didn't talk about today, but I mean, you know, there's also augmented reality. There's there's a lot of cool technology that's coming out and that'll take a while to to mature, of course, but it could have some interesting, I think it could have some interesting, even positive changes for society. I mean, yeah, we, we need to be careful. Like the concept of work, you know, as an employee is, is kind of coming under threat now by freelancing, by the, the shared economy by all these things, so we have to really be be careful moving forward.
0: Thanks so much, Ash. Uh, thanks for being with us uh, late your time. Everybody, Battle Royale is the book. It's available on Amazon and right now. Uh, I've I've read it, every word of it, uh, and I gained a lot. Ash convinced me to to read the book. <laughs>